You know that passage in uh, Matthew where Jesus is sending out the apostles and they're to go into all the various villages um, around in Judea and throughout Israel. But it's interesting that there are parallels, which I discovered as I was studying the passage for today, parallels between that in Matthew 10 and Acts chapter 13. In the passage in Matthew where Jesus is sending out the 12, he tells them not to go to the Gentiles, not to go to Samaria, but only to the villages uh, and the cities of Israel. Interesting. I see three distinct parallels or interesting connections here to our passage today. For instance, and this isn't really a big surprise, but the very first place that Paul goes is always to the Jew. He goes first to the synagogues. That's one connection. Then there, and this is the one that really tipped me off, there's this word worthy. There's a word worthy that occurs in that passage that Rick just read. And I did a word search on that word, and interestingly, one of the key places it pops up is in, uh, you guessed it, Matthew chapter 10. And if you look at it and you go, well, it's the word unworthy in Acts 13. Literally in Greek, it's just the word worthy with the word not in front of it. So it's, it, it's, it's the same exact word. And uh, It's used three times in Matthew 10 where Jesus tells them that when they go to a village, they are to stay with those who are worthy. And he draws a distinction between villages and and houses where it's worthy versus those that are unworthy. And if they're unworthy, um, what, what are you supposed to do? Do you know? When you leave that person or that town, what are they supposed to do? Shake the dust from their feet. And those, those parallels are just, it seems to me, too strong uh, to ignore. In fact, at the end of this one, you may, you may recall, as it was just being read, that that's literally what Paul does. At the end of this passage, when Paul and Barnabas are, are forced out of that whole region around us, uh, Antioch there, they shake the dust from their feet. What I really want to key in on here is that word, Worthy. And uh, this may almost, if, you know, if, if you saw some of my points without any explanation, you might think I've become a heretic. Because some of what I'm going to say at first blush, you're going to go, huh? I, that sounds weird. It catches my ear in a very weird sense. If we start talking about being worthy of the gospel, doesn't that sound wrong? Yeah? No, doesn't it? It just, there's something about that. And clearly the word worthy is being used in a different way here than what we would take it to mean. So my question to you today that you're going to wrestle with as you think through this is, um, are you worthy of the gospel? Are you worthy of the the gospel? And uh, if it feels uncomfortable, that's okay. Because sermons are like parachute harnesses. If you feel comfy in it, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad because when you pull the ripcord, if things are a little too slack down there where you're feeling comfortable when you're walking around, uh, bad things happen. Bad things happen. So you, you have that thing pulled really tight, you're really uncomfortable, and that's for good reason. Uh, okay, so we're still in, uh, in Pisidian Antioch in the area of Galatia. Paul has had this successful evangelistic mission, as it were, in the synagogue. The Jews that are there and the God-fearers among them are attracted to that. They want Paul to come back a week later. And so a week later, so on the Sabbath, he comes back. Um, presumably, I don't think he even makes it into the synagogue proper, 
because there's this huge, huge outpouring of Gentiles. It says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And uh, you might think, wow, um, the Jewish people there would be honored and proud that now we've attracted this. No, that's not how it went. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. So my first thought about worthiness here is you are not worthy of the gospel if you think you alone are worthy of the gospel. So let's face it, if you, if you want to talk about people that were in a prime position to receive and believe and be saved by the gospel, you can't look any further than the Jewish people themselves. They had all of the promises attached to them. They had all of, all of the good things that God had done to their forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of, all of the covenants and all that history. And yet it is, it is also perfectly clear that from the very beginning they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, weren't they? Isn't that what, what we are told again and again and again? You go back to the Abrahamic covenant. He said that through your seed, the nations of the earth will be blessed. But they had lost sight of that. Now, understandably, if you were a Jewish person, you wouldn't like Gentiles either back in that day. They had been oppressed. They'd been carried off into Babylonian captivity. And no sooner practically had they gotten back from that under the Persians than the Greeks came along. And after the Greeks came along, you know, you had that little period of the Maccabeans where they had some independence and in come the Romans. And now the Romans are ruled. So they don't like them. They're unclean. They're uncircumcised. And they smell funny. And we just, we just don't like them. When they see the Gentiles coming out to hear the good news concerning this Jewish Messiah, instead of going, aren't we proud? The Gentiles are, are coming our way. Nope. It's like, <laughs> you aren't worthy. <laughs> you don't deserve this. We are the, and, and if you're going to horn in and try to have a part of this Jewish Messiah, then that's not the Jewish Messiah for us any longer. And they, they were jealous if you think you alone are worthy of the gospel, you're not worthy of the gospel. And you say, well, are people like that today? Are we talking about something that's unique to, to, to the Jewish people? No. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say something like this? Uh, Christianity, uh, no thank you. Well, why, why? Well, have you seen the people that go to that church? I know those people. I've done business with that guy, uh, you know, and I've hung out uh, at, at the bar with that guy and, and whatnot, and they are no better than I am. In fact, some of them are a whole lot worse. I'd rather just not hear a word about the gospel if it involves being with those Christians. And so, in, a, in effect, the person is saying, I'm too good for the gospel. <laughs> I'm too good to hang out with the riffraff uh, of the body of Christ. Did you, did you realize that in some people's eyes you're riffraff? Yeah, okay, so the first thing, you're unworthy if you think you're uh, alone worthy. Secondly, you are unworthy of the gospel if you harden against its servants. Once the unbelieving Jews of Antioch get worked up against Paul, they commit to it fully. It's not even just a little back and forth on, you know, they are, they double down. They are totally engaged in trying to contradict what he says, and they're reviling him. They're reviling him. In other words, insulting him. They're, they're throwing insults. They're shouting. I don't know if you remember this event happened a few years ago. In fact, it was when Mitt Romney was running for president, so it's been a couple years. 
But I remember there was a guy here in town, he was a, um, a doctor uh, of some kind, don't remember what kind, but uh, he had been Mormon, and then slowly God had kind of gotten a hold of him, and he'd gotten the real thing, gotten a hold of the real gospel, and he pulled away from Mormonism, and somehow the whole thing with Mitt Romney made him want to go give a public speech, and he went, I think it was down at, at, um, at the Angus Inn or whatever it's called, and, uh, and he was giving a talk, and, and the Mormon church sent people who literally tried to shout him down in, in the midst of it. And, uh, and that's what's happening here. They're just, the, the, the Jewish people are just doing all they can, you know, nah, 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 you know, and pointing fingers and yelling and whatever they can to disrupt. Um, we think about, like, what Paul was like and what we know about Paul. It would have been easy to insult Paul. Paul was short of stature, right? That's always an easy, fun thing to make, make fun of. He was short of stature, and we know that when he got to Galatia, that, which that's where you know, the, uh, Pisidian Antioch was. It was in the region of Galatia. We know from the book of Galatians that when he got there, he was suffering an ailment, and that whatever it was he was suffering, which some people take to be malaria, and maybe the neurological effects on the brain from malaria, he says that he was in a state they could, they could have despised him. He says this, he says, and though my condition was a trial to you, this is speaking to the Galatians, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. Now, so what is Paul saying there? Do you, do you hear that? He's like, yeah, I wasn't much to look at at that moment. I was in a bad way. I think it's possible that he was having like neurological tics. Uh, they, they talk about searing, like migraine, like headaches that accompany this kind of thing. And, uh, and you can just picture the people throwing insults. Why are you listening to the guy? Look at that little pipsqueak up there. Do you hear his voice? He's so weak. Now look at, you know, and they're making fun of him. And they're doing anything they can to dissuade people from the gospel. Think about that. Once, once you cross that line where you're not just rejecting the gospel yourself, but you're trying to make sure everybody else rejects it as well. You've made a pretty strong commitment there. Now, can God undo that? Can God bring somebody t to himself that's that much of an enemy of the gospel? What would Paul say? <laughs> You're looking at him, right? So God can do that, but it is a dangerous place to be because a lot of people, when they harden themselves against God's gospel and God's servants, they're gone. It's just, it's, yeah, the show's over. Thirdly, you're unworthy of the gospel if you thrust it aside. Look at the next verse. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. It's not the first time in the book of Acts this concept, this word thrust aside, pops up in the Greek. Do you remember back in Acts 7, we had Stephen, and Stephen gave that long history of the Jewish people. He went all the way back kind of to the beginning, he worked his way up through, and, you, and he talked about how Moses was rejected. He said that Moses tried to intercede when the two Israelites were fighting with each other, you know the story? And he tried to get in the middle, he goes, well, you know, brothers, don't do this, you're, you're, you're brothers in, 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 of, of, of Israel. And they looked at him and they're like, who do you think you are? And Stephen says they thrust him aside. And Paul is saying the same thing here. They, they have thrust aside the gospel. They thrust Christ aside. There's kind of a literal and metaphorical way in which they are just taking their hand and shoving it away and saying we won't have anything to do with it. It was a, it was a careless rejection 
of the gospel. It's not an, ex- an examined rejection. It's not somebody that has spent years reading the scripture and looked at it and asked themselves the question. It's, some, it's, a, it's a knee-jerk response which was fueled by jealousy. They just didn't, have you ever known anyone that was stubborn that rejected things just out of hand because they were new? And I don't like new things, you know? You know, the, your old great-grandpa probably said that about sliced bread. I don't need a fancy, fancy sliced bread. Ooh, we can make sandwiches. I can do that right now with the stuff I've got. See, we just did that today. You can just use your hands, and it's fine. Um, internet? What? I don't need it. I don't need a smartphone. My, I like dumb phones. But there are people like that in the world who just reject something new out of hand. But it's so dangerous if that happens to be the gospel. If you thrust it aside, you are counted as unworthy of it. Fourthly, you are unworthy of the gospel if you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Look at the second half of the verse there. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. He's not saying that they literally are sitting there thinking, man, I just don't feel worthy of the gospel. I don't feel worthy of eternal life. Not a one of them literally thought that. What is he saying? What's Paul saying? He's kind of using a figure of speech. It's a manner of speaking. It's like if a a man were kind of a hound dog, kind of a womanizer, and uh, and he comes along and he he starts saying inappropriate things to a woman that she really doesn't want to hear, but he thinks he's really going to make headway. You know, and, and finally she just looks at him and says, you know, obviously you don't want a relationship with me. And he's thinking, well, that's exactly what I want. But she's saying the way you are speaking, the way that you, you're not going to get anywhere with that. You're behaving in a way that's contrary to what you say you want. And Paul is saying that about the Jewish people here. He's saying, um, you judge yourself not to be worthy. It's like the pearl before the swine um, kind of thing. There are going to be people just like that who, who show by their actions by their words when you try to share the gospel with them, that they are unworthy of eternal life. They, they reject it. They cast it aside. That's not a judgment that you're making. If you, it, does it bother you when Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine? Has it ever caught you like, who am I to call somebody swine? That's a horrible thing to say. And am I too good to throw my pearls before? That just doesn't seem right. But what is he saying there? He's saying there are people who have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And you, you, there's a point at which you're talking to a wall. You're talking to someone that's not, not worthy. They're not receiving it in a worthy manner. And that is how it is. We keep praying, we keep holding forth the truth, we preach the gospel, but we understand this is how it will be. Jesus told us it would be so. It's just like the old adage about uh, the, the horse. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You, there are some people who are just counting themselves out from the very word go. And we understand that. And Jesus would describe that if you go to Matthew. Look at Matthew 10 when you have a chance. I didn't bring it all up so you could see it. But again and again, he talks about those that are worthy, those that are unworthy. And they show themselves to be unworthy by their rejection. Now we're going to look at the other side of the equation. Three indicators that one would be worthy. Again, I realize this uh, is going to catch you a little funny at first. But we'll make sense of it before it's all over. I trust, trust me on that. First of all, you're worthy of the gospel if you rejoice in the gospel. 
You're worthy of the gospel if you rejoice in the gospel. To be worthy here does not mean that you have done a lot of good things. It doesn't mean that you're smart or clever or good-looking or particularly moral or, or anything. In fact, the Jewish people were far more moral than their Gentile counterparts. They were far closer to living according to the law within this huge crowd of people that was showing up to hear the gospel and receive grace. It says, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So Paul is saying to them, first of all, saying to the Jewish people, you were meant to be a light to the Gentiles. You were there for the whole purpose of leading them. You should, you should be wanting this. They, you're fulfilling your destiny. But in their jealousy, they're, they're fighting against it. They're trying to literally prevent the Gentiles from hearing the word of life, the word of Christ. But it's in vain because the Gentiles are listening. They can hear past the na 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 boo boo and whatever else they were shouting at Paul. They can hear through that and they're hearing, hey, this God, this God, this, this odd, strange, one God of the universe that the Jews talk about is offering eternal life to those who will believe in his son. And it says they rejoiced and they believed, they glorified God. It was thrilling to their ears. And I say to you, that looks like the normal reaction to the gospel for someone who is, quote unquote, worthy. Again, not talking about the person's morality. Think about Zacchaeus. Now Zacchaeus was not a man of outstanding moral character. He was just a little runt of a tax collector who undoubtedly was breaking about every commandment possible, and yet when he heard that Jesus wanted to come to his house, he threw a party. He rejoiced over that. It, it, it filled his heart. He was worthy in that sense of what we mean. Same thing with the prodigal son. You want to talk about somebody that was unworthy. The prodigal son, according to the Old Testament law, should have been stoned to death, starting with his parents throwing the first stone. And I'm not exaggerating, that's literally how the law read with regard to gluttons and, 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 and wastrels such as he was. But God's grace flows to him and, and, he, and he ends up running to and embracing his father. Well, his father actually runs to him, but he's worthy in that sense of because he's willing to receive. Joy is a great barometer of the Christian faith, don't you think? And I, I want to be careful to say I understand Christians can have times of sorrow, times of grief. In fact, we should have times of grief, shouldn't we? That's a normal human response to death and loss and these kinds of things. But, but when we're talking about our faith, when we're talking about how the gospel falls on our ears, we should be those who hear the gospel and run to it and flee to it, enjoy glorifying God. Look what God has for me. How can it, it, it's, it's too good to be true. How many think about the gospel that way when you really know yourself that the gospel is too good to be true when it comes to you and me? It is. We're not worthy. That's what it takes to be worthy of the gospel is, is that reception of joy. And then you're worthy of the gospel if God has determined you are. Okay, anyone that really hates the idea of predestination, all those things should just not listen now. 
I can't help what the Bible says, people. It's just, it says what it says. Um, yeah, I'm emphasizing the second part of that verse now. They didn't just rejoice and give glory to God. It says, uh, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So if this whole time you've been going, wow, it just sounds like Jay is say some, saying something really against the gospel here because he keeps talking about us being worthy. Understand what I mean by that. I'm not saying we're good enough. I'm not saying we deserve it. I'm not saying in any sense of the word that we have earned it. Salvation is the gift of God. We're the ones, you know, we, we talk about free will, and I'm not saying there's not such a thing as free will. As Calvin would say, I wouldn't give it that vaunted a title because uh, we're, we're free in the sense that we're sinners, that we love our sin. So that doesn't really quite count as freedom. But anyway, um, I digress. God is the one who has to do this. God is the one who is at work. We don't manipulate it. However we define worth here, it is not about good deeds that we can produce. It's, it's about what God has done. God is sovereign. God chooses whom he chooses. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God determines worth. And though we can't fully grasp that, we have to see it's not in our hands. We don't believe because we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and go, well, I think I better believe because I'm smart enough to realize that. No, you weren't smart enough. You weren't clever enough. You weren't good enough. What does it say? Those who are appointed to eternal life believed. Yeah, it's in God's hands. It's not about some intrinsic worth in us. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Now, you can start listening again. Um, finally, finally, you are worthy of the gospel if you believe. Now, that last bit was heavy because a lot of people really resist that and struggle with that. It is what it is. God is a sovereign God. But how do we work that out? How do we make sense? There's kind of a mystery to it that we don't fully grasp. But what does it tell us here? It doesn't say spend a lot of time trying to figure out if you've been appointed to eternal life. In fact, nowhere that I know of, um, I mean, we're told to make our calling and election sure, but that's not a matter of, uh, of trying to figure something out that God has written in his book of no, what does it say? It says, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Believed. That's, that's the point. For us, have I responded in faith? Have I responded in belief? I don't have to climb a tall mountain to answer great questions that are beyond me. I don't have to swim down to the Mariana Trench or, or, or go down in a cave to the deepest part of the earth. What, it, what does it say? The words near you in your mouth. That, it, that, that if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's our part. That, and it's not even our part, but it's, it's our response. Those who are worthy of the gospel believe the gospel. Okay, as you finish this out, we're gonna kind of look at the conclusion of the passage here real quickly. I don't really have a place in the bulletin for, for that, except it's just at the end here. But uh, there are three outcomes here. The first outcome is the word of God spreads like wildfire. It, it goes throughout the whole region. And that, so now it's not just Pisidian Antioch, the city. It's the whole region around it of Galatia. Thus, we have the book of Galatians writing to those people there. Christ's kingdom is on the advance. So that, that fits with the whole uh, book of Acts. But with it comes persecution. And the persecution doesn't even make a dent in it. 
The church explodes in growth, and, and with it we have these people. It talks about leading men and uh, upstanding women of the city banding together with the, the Jews who don't believe and, and driving Paul out of the city, Paul and Barnabas. And that is when you have the fact that, that they shake the dust from their feet and they keep going with the gospel to other regions. And that was meant as a testimony of judgment. But it says of the disciples... Uh, and by that, we, we would take all those that believed among the Jews and the Gentiles there in that region. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the unworthy reject, the unworthy push it aside. Those who are worthy receive it with joy and are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've thrown around the word worthy a lot today. And um, I hope you can understand, again, there's probably two distinctly different definitions of the word worthy. And the one would be completely incorrect and it would be antithetical to the gospel. But there must be some other sense in which that word is correct because Jesus himself uses it and Paul uses it, worthy and unworthy. And I thought about a a pretty homely illustration, but let me try this on you. Um, Think about it as parents. If you're a child, you just have to look at it from the standpoint of of a child here, but I'm speaking kind of the parents. How many um, have children that are human beings? And uh, you know, the the first and foremost thing you can say about human beings is, um, yeah, I don't like them. Uh, They're uh, humans, right? (laughs) I haven't met a lot of them that were really good people. I mean, there's, we're sinners. And so when, you, when they start out, they're, they're just smaller sinners, smaller versions, and you tell them what to do, and what do they do? The exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and no kid is ever worth a single Christmas present. Christmas should be banned if we're talking about worth. And I think about the, 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 the parent that goes all out and buys a pony and the, and the kids get up Christmas morning and, oh, we've got a great present for you. You take them outside and they see the pony and they, they're like, oh my goodness, we've got them. Ah, ah. And then a little bit, their lip starts to quiver and they get the little tear welling up in their eye and they're like, mom and dad, I've been so bad, right? I've been so bad, I haven't done what you've told me to do and, I, and I, I've thrown rocks at my sister and uh, whatever else. I'm not worthy. And maybe they don't use that term, but that's what they're saying. I'm not worthy. And what is the mom and dad, what do you say? You're worth it to me. You're worth that and so much more. You're worth my whole life. Of But they're not saying, the parents are not saying, yeah, you really worked hard for this and you get everything you're deserving. No, you're saying it's because of the relationship. Because you're my child, I count you as worthy, though you are completely undeserving. And isn't that what God is really saying here to us? It seems to me, like those who hear the gospel and are appointed to eternal life, that they are full of joy and the Holy Spirit, and God counts them as worthy. But those who hear the gospel and think they're too good for the gospel and deem themselves unworthy of the gospel and fight against it and thrust it aside, they are deemed unworthy. So the only person that can really answer this question today is you. Am I worthy of the gospel? Do I, do I hear the gospel? Do I receive it in a manner that God counts as worthy? So let's pray. Father, we've, uh, we've really wrestled through some, um, some big stuff today and things that are beyond us. 
And even talking about uh, being worthy of the gospel seems so backward and so wrong in one sense, but we know, we know what you mean, Lord, and, and we want to always be like little children coming to you with that sense of worthiness of just holding our hands out and, and receiving what you have for us in Christ. And may we always have that with joy. Lord, help us not as believers in Christ to fall into any pattern where we, where we push you aside. Um, we, we want all that you have to give us. And I pray, Lord, that, that if there's a person that's been pushing you away and thinking of themselves as too good and, and uh, counting themselves unworthy of the, of the kingdom, that, that such a person hearing the gospel today would have a change of heart. And we would pray that that change of heart would, would, would be done by you, that, that you would move, that your Holy Spirit would move and make them to hear the gospel fresh and hear it in a new way and turn to Christ and believe and have eternal life. We ask it in his name. Amen.